You're listening to the New Century Multiverse, Stone Spring Maidens. Chapter 8, Biting Point, Washington, January 3rd, 1884. In Arlington Cemetery, Truth stood behind Harry, their eyes both resting upon a pair of gravestones. It was a monument of white marble, with snow settled upon it. This was the first time Harry had been to this quiet place. The wind bit into her cheeks and made her covered knees ache. Do you remember that fight I had with Dad when we were 15? Do I remember one fight? You two were at each other's throats all the time. That's kind of my point. Mom said we were too similar to one another. Hatched from the same egg. Yeah. Master Yag, you told me that to have a child born like yourself was the greatest blessing. I suspect for Dad it probably wasn't. Yeah. Once he got a thought in his head, it was immovable. Harry slowly looked up and back at her sister. Yeah, I get it. But the fight I'm thinking of was the one- With the watch? Yes. You threw it against the wall. Yes. Why did you do that? I... He bought me that watch. I think the angriest side of me wanted to say, Ha! There's nothing you can give to me that I don't have total control over. Seems like a loss of control to me. Destroying something is maybe the ultimate expression of powerlessness. And then, of course, you picked up the bits that were scattered all around the room. And you spent days fixing it for me. You made it better than new. It was stronger, kept time for longer before it had to be wound. And there was a beauty in your restoration. She felt in her pocket and dropped the watch on its chain into Harry's line of sight dangling it between her fingers. I treasure it. It made me realize that there are people who break things on purpose, and people who fix things on purpose. And you made me want to be the second kind of person. I made you feel that? I just wanted to fix your watch because I figured smashing something that only wants to help you is stupid well whatever your reasons were they had a profound effect on me and I've never thanked you you did thank me for the watch not the change in perspective then you're welcome they breathed steam and Harry felt Truth's gloved hand on her shoulder I promised them I would look after you while you were away in Steam Heart. They just wanted to see you home and safe. I think Dad... I think he wasn't certain he'd ever see you again. So I promised I would make sure you had everything you needed. And... I think I've let them down. I know you're trying. It's just so hard. I feel... 
I feel so empty. Well, I could do more. And there's something more that I've been wanting to offer you, but I'm afraid of what it might mean. Tell me. You know the world that James opened up in August? The one he first made contact with at Green Hollow? When you helped him understand how to do what he does with that eye. I saw some of it. It, it was such an enormous wind door. I could see the orange skyline. Do you want to go there? Their technology is far in advance of our own. Maybe they can help you, maybe... Yes, I would like to do that. Well, okay. We'll do that. They stood together as the cold wind blew the sounds of a zeppelin towards them. It was Thundercloud approaching from the west, returning from San Francisco. James Penrose was not on board, and neither was Abigail Gray. Harry glared up at the approaching shape. There he is. And in the snowy graveyard, beside the lonely monument, the pair of them made silent promises. Gabriella, day three of Frigga, midwinterfall, 1884. The month of Tara elapsed, the solstice passed, and to those it meant the world to, the eve of lament for the sacrifice of Tuesha. Others in Gabriella and far beyond, where the weather was less temperate, experienced their own melancholia for the passing of the even more ancient goddess, Salarian. Legend held that this loss had left the land shrouded in cold shadow, but both deities would be reborn in early springfall. Religious or otherwise, the Elaine gathered together at this time, expressing gratitude for their families. Penny tried in vain to excuse herself and Cal from attending the solstice at Mothwood, citing a heavy workload. But her matriarch insisted once again, so Penny sat in a corner of the dim, meticulous parlour, tinsel around her head, nursing a thin mint liqueur, and pondering the time she had wasted not talking to Ganny about the big question. She feared his answer. If it was a no, she could present that to Cal. But if it was a yes, she would be the only person not willing to make this happen. And thus she would be stealing a future from both of them. So she avoided her friend. She focused on construction, spent as much time alone as possible. It was as though unseen hands were gradually closing down points of connection they once had. Calendula worked late hours, and Penny found herself climbing into an empty bed to read at earlier times each night, hoping to have drifted off when her wife came in the door to the dimly lit apartment with a meal set up in the chiller. But one thing Penny was not was imperceptive. Cal's laundry was frequently rolling in the small hours, hung up to dry in the mornings, light loads, wasteful of water and crystal power, 
inefficient. And one morning, when she checked the machine early, the switch had not been fully flipped and last night's clothes lay within. Penny drew out a slightly damp white shirt and her head cocked to one side. The top button was missing and the collar betrayed the tiniest smear of deep black lipstick. It could, of course, have simply rubbed off from Cal's own lip. But various exotic aromas also mingled with the poison army aromatic, which Cal preferred upon her neck. Penny breathed in and twitched. An unfamiliar perfume lay there too, as well as additional stag musk favoured by men, and something else. Mingled in the lingering sweat, with the citrus notes of sexual excitement. Penny slumped back against the wall and tossed the shirt into the machine, shuddering with betrayal. Cal found her making breakfast, the washer rolling. Penny had been struggling for half an hour with every possible way of opening up this conversation. Angry. Found your frocking shirt. Crushed. How could you do this to me? Deeply crushed. How could you do this to us? Passive-aggressive. Did you have a nice night? Venomous. Well, I suppose I shouldn't be too insulted that I'm not enough for you. Clearly, you need two at a time to satisfy your clanging bells. Enraged. Frock you, adulterer. Resentful and a shade envious. At least next time, bring them here so I can get some love and attention. I've been climbing the walls for weeks because you won't touch me. And when you do, it's with the glassy eyes and mechanical rope movements of a crystal knight. Determined. This isn't the first time. It's not even the seventh. Self-defeating. I suppose I should be used to this by now. Self-blaming. This was my fault. I haven't been giving you what you need. Concerned. What's wrong? Calm. We need to talk. Decisive. We are over. Sorrowful. <laughs> Which would simply be to break down into tears. But she would not do that this time. Instead, she raced through the others on the list she had made and tried desperately to decide on the spot whilst holding a ceramic pan and a spatula of crispy bacon when Cal initiated conversation for her. So I heard a little accident last night. An accident? Did you trip over his tumescent flesh flute and tumble into her quivering whisker biscuit? Penny did not roar in response. Ended up in bed with a pretty girl I think you'll like. But it got me thinking about our plans. I offered a Ganymede, your mother's offered to the three of us. It's just such a golden opportunity and it feels like we're slipping away. What I thought was- I know what you did. Penny said at last, cutting across her as she slid the bacon and rapidly cooling eggs in beside the coronet of flaky sweet pastry that Cal loved to wake up to. And it's made me question our future together. You don't have to question my commitment. I'm in this for the long haul. The person I'm worried about is you. Me? You never touch me. You never want to make love. The tears had started to burn. Penny gritted her teeth. I do. Frequently. Her eyelid twitched as she fought for control. Well, you should tell me more. Because it's led to me seeking that experience with others, which doesn't feel right to me. I think we need to separate. Suddenly the words were on the table, and they felt real and tangible. 
No, you don't. You're not going to throw away four and a half sons together just like that. I won't let you make that mistake. For starters, this was the final time I do what happened last night alone. The next occasion, you are definitely invited. But we need to rekindle our interest in one another again. I feel like it's already too late. Penny's head was swimming. She could barely believe the words were coming from her. It's definitely not too late. I'm going to fight for us. I was waiting for your birthday to surprise you with this. But I think I can pull a few chains and arrange a little meeting with one of the natives of this other world. You want to know about them? I can fix it for you. She had spotted Penny's eyes widening, breath quickening, cheeks reddening. So she closed in for the kill, moving her poison army scented neck closer to her wife, watching those pupils dilate. She reached up to hold Penny's chin in her fingers. Of course, you could just throw everything we've done together away, start from scratch, and find someone else to put you in touch with interdimensional beings. Penny trembled under her touch, wrestling with six different powerful feelings. Anger that she had sought a resolution to a problem she knew in her heart wasn't going anywhere. A genuine arousal and desire at being touched, being wanted, even she entertained for a moment, cherished. As a result of this, self-disgust festered. That she was so easy to dissuade from a course of action she was determined to take. And behind that was nerve-shredding fear that she had nearly made a catastrophic decision and ruined her whole life. And then finally, the burning curiosity forming in the base of her stomach as Cal's soft, confident mouth found hers. And she felt her lower lip being gently drawn between those teeth. She could not speak or resist as Cal deliberately and bodily swept the breakfast from the table, shattering the plates and scattering buttered egg against the cupboard doors, leaving slippery trails as it descended. There was a brief moment of shock as Penny wondered whether she should fetch the dustpan and brush and clear them up before resuming what they were getting into. But then Cal's mouth was on her exposed right nipple and she was arching her back onto the warm surface, content to simply abandon all these feelings in favor of pleasure. Somewhere inside, a version of her was screaming as a door was shut. been listening to episode 8 of Stone Spring Maidens, Biting Point, written, edited and directed by Alexander Shaw, Truth Arlington and Penthesily Renwick, performed by Theo Lee, Harry Arlington, performed by Loretta Saylor, Calendula Renwick, performed by Sharon Shaw, narration by Alex Shaw, Stone Spring Maidens theme, Far Destiny, composed and performed by I. Sazanov of Shockwave Sound. 
Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. With the Sea and Phantasm, performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. Stone Spring Maidens is available in a gorgeous paperback from Amazon.com, along with the previous nine stories from the New Century Multiverse, and the two newest, Panthasol and Nightfall of the Wendigo. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finn Barnicol, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns.